why am I feeling this way? Well, I'm angry, okay. And how much information do I have to base on like this hatred I feel like I'm forming for people that I don't know? And so the way that I thought about it, people look at me and create a story without even engaging with me, right? They see that I'm a black woman, they see the color of my skin, and there's a story that starts to um, to bubble up, right? Expectations or whatever the case might be. And I was doing the exact same thing to people who would wear a red hat with some white lettering. Welcome to season three. I can't believe that it's already the third season of The Gardenia Project. I'm Jen Dean. My hope is that with each story you listen to here, you can feel more connected to the community of women and all of humanity, really, that are around you wherever you are. That in these stories, you'll find a bit of yourself or someone you know that you can relate to the thoughts shared here. Maybe they'll spark a new idea or put some joy in your heart. And really, who couldn't use a little more of that every day? Chanel was most recently the Senior Manager of Diversity and Inclusion at the University of Maine and a radical listening facilitator. She describes herself as a self-proclaimed people, community, and cultural evangelist and nerd. She said, I feel most fulfilled when my work is at the intersection of engaging people, building community, and designing an inclusive and equitable culture. When I met Chanel, she was a very calm presence, someone I immediately felt at ease with and who I could listen to all day. And she really does practice what she preaches. She listens really intently. I've always struggled with is the word activist because um, I see the work or the things that I do in my life as just being me and living and um, being aware and caring. And so if that's activism, great. And for me, that's looked a number of ways. So I see the role that I play in community as um, an, an instigator in the right way. I facilitate conversations and I want people to learn how to listen to each other better. And generally, it's just a skill that we're never taught how to do. In fact, we're taught how to persuade and how to pick apart each other's thoughts and ideas, to point out and tease out weaknesses rather than just be present and listen and understand and gain some information along the way. And I think when we think of activists, this image comes into our mind, right, of protests and, you know, walking down the street, demonstrations and things like that. For me, my activism looks differently, and it's taken some time for me to realize the work that I'm doing is just as radical and just as needed. I've learned that we need each other and we need each other's activism, and so... While I'm not the person who is going to go march in streets, you know, I'm, I'm the one who's going to have the conversations. 
was the fall of 2016, and a lot was happening in our country politically. And I think the the climax of the election and, and all of the things really it ignited me in a way that I probably never experienced. And one of the things that I learned along the way throughout this entire process is just how angry I was. And that anger presented itself almost blindly or just like without a face. And it became this amorphous thing. So it, it, will, it could be an image, it could be a, a piece of clothing, it could be a hat, it could be a bumper sticker, and I would just become enraged. And I think throughout the that experience, wanting to question that, so almost instigate myself, right? Like, why am I feeling this way? Well, I'm angry, okay. And how much information do I have to base on like this hatred I feel like I'm forming for people that I don't know. And so the way that I thought about it, people look at me and create a story without even engaging with me, right? They see that I'm a black woman, they see the color of my skin, and there's a story that starts to, to bubble up, right? Expectations or whatever the case might be. And I was doing the exact same thing to people who would wear a red hat with some white lettering. And I I had to check that. I wanted to check that for myself. And what ended up happening was I was driving in my car and around that same time, one of my favorite artists, Solange, she released seat at the table and a seat at the table was I thought just like groundbreaking project that was a celebration of black womanhood specifically but listening to that album on repeat I merged this idea of what it would what would it be like to sit with someone I don't know share a meal with them and to just talk and listen. And so I created this initiative, um, a similar title as the album, A Seat at the Table. And throughout that process came up with this idea and the term radical listening isn't unique to me. I've seen it used in other contexts. But radical listening for me is the practice of quieting our internal voices and judgments and giving our full attention to the speaker, which is incredibly hard, which is why I call it a practice. And so how can I enter spaces and question how I'm listening to others? Am I being present? It's mindfulness, it's active listening, it's care wrapped into one practice of, I care about your experience. And also, your experience is your own and it's valid. It is not my job 
to tell you that your experience is fake or that the way you're feeling isn't real. It's my job to listen, to understand, and perhaps through this process, I develop some empathy and compassion for the people I'm listening to. Rhetoric was a class and debate was an extracurricular. Where is there the act of listening just to listen? Anywhere in those two skills. You listen to identify and find weaknesses in people's arguments. And it's through that that you win. With radical listening, there's no winner. No one loses. We walk away, hopefully having something that carries us throughout and brings more awareness to how we walk through life. I think in this culture of speed and quick responses and things of that sort, we've become so uncomfortable with silence. And silence has become its weakness, its uncertainty. And so I'm kind of, I'm, I'm reclaiming some silence. So with a seat at the table starting in January of 2017, we hosted conversations for the community that included conversation guides, etc. And the goal was, let's talk to people who think differently than us. Because I had this issue with this echo chamber, like we're all talking to each other, we all believe the same things, how is this helpful? But going through January and February, I started to realize that we were having conversations with each other again. So people weren't opting in who thought differently. It was the same people having the same conversations about topics that they agreed on. A friend of mine questioned that and questioned whether this was in service to the goals of a seat at the table. And I had to be honest and, I, and say that it wasn't. And she challenged me to get in my car. We did this together. And we drove about an hour or so northwest to Brownfield, Maine. And now a message from our sponsor. I am so excited to announce that my friend Jen's book, Empathic Mastery is coming out in early October. She not only gets what it means to be highly sensitive and empathic, but she uses the book to explain the hows and whys in a way that makes sense and it's really fun to read. I've had a sneak peek and you don't want to miss it. She shares her step-by-step -step system that will teach you how to recognize what's yours and what isn't, release the stuff that doesn't serve you, and also protect yourself from absorbing other people's negativity. And act in new ways that support an awesome life. As a friend of hers, I've seen how the empathic mastery system has transformed many lives. And now she's going to be able to help other people access this amazing wisdom. Go grab your copy by visiting empathicmasterybook.com. You'll be so glad you did. And now back to our program. Brownfield, Maine is very different from Portland. Um, you know, it's headed towards the White Mountains and bordering of New Hampshire. And 
it's just significantly more rural. And um, I was so nervous because not only would people treat me differently because of how I thought, but being a black woman in Maine um, has always been interesting to say the least because you just never know. And rural spaces haven't always been super welcoming. Rural white spaces haven't always been super welcoming to, to black folks. And that's also a gross generalization. So I'm also realizing like where I'm, I'm stereotyping. Um, so we push through, we're driving, we wake up, um, we're on the road by 5.30 in the morning. The goal was to reach a diner that had regulars that always showed up at seven. And we're driving and I, we, the entire car ride was completely silent. Save a couple of, how are you feeling? What are you thinking? We're both women of color, but you know, we were, we were just, driving for about an hour and some change, thinking about what this experience would be like. I remember saying, oh, well, I haven't seen any Confederate flags, so that's a good sign. And this person, me, who had said, oh, we need to talk to people who are different. The moment I get into a different and difficult moment, I'm chickening out <laughs> and saying, let's just turn this thing around. Um, let's just cancel. <laughs> Am I sick? You know, coming up with all the things. And um, we get there. And there's this very small diner. And we walk in. And it's almost as if the record stops. So you ever hear like the... <laughs> uh, and I remember my heart racing so fast and my palms were sweaty and I'm, I'm generally a confident person and very little gets me out of that but being in this space seeing the art that was selected on the wall like um, ISIS target practice and you walk in and everyone turns towards you and you, I immediately got the sense of, who are you, why are you here? I'd intruded. We sat down at the, at the breakfast bar and um, started talking and I was so hesitant in the beginning. I was very quiet and we, ended up having a conversation with a couple of folks who were verbatim what they said was, I hope you're ready to talk about Trump because we're big Trump people here. And this is what we believe. And if you're not ready to talk about that, you can go. I mean, that didn't make me feel comfortable at all. Um, but here we were miles from home in the space that isn't our, our own having a conversation about why and not necessarily to defend. So 
the conversation that we ended up having really was around what are your views and, and why? What about the president spoke to you, aligned with your views? And ultimately what ended up happening was we met about seven people and had a conversation with all of them. And so there were five that were Trump supporters and two that had voted for Clinton. And they have breakfast together almost every Friday morning. And so I remember asking, well, okay, so you all don't believe the same thing. How do you share space together? They go, well, we don't talk about politics, but we all know where each other works. You know, we care. We know when someone's kid's doing well. This woman had mentioned her views on abortion, for example, and went on this very interesting line of thinking, different line of thinking than my own. Um, And at the same time, kind of in the same stream of consciousness, mentioned that she is the repository for any donations that goes to like Goodwill Salvation Army teen centers. And every week, once a week, she gathers all of these materials to bring to shelters in need. It raises the question like, what is goodness and what's right? And so in that moment, radical listening for me made me understand just how complex people are. How unfair is it for me to create a complete story about people because of the bumper stickers they have on their car, the hats they choose to wear, and the person they choose to vote for? Just like for someone to look at me and automatically have a story because of the color of my skin. I can have both empathy and expectation. I don't have to choose one or the other, right? I can not like it and give someone empathy, right? I can not like what they're thinking or saying and respect them, respect their humanity and they don't conflict with each other. They can live in the same house. And that's hard, but that's what I'm hoping for. That we come to a place where humanity and people are more important than what we believe where we're different, where um, our views are different, our political leanings are different, but that there is this level of humanity that supersedes it all. And my hope is that radical listening is in service to that, is in service to seeing the humanity in everyone and challenging ourselves to to, to see how we can all be in community with each other. I don't necessarily think we should agree to disagree. 
I think we should just disagree respectfully and keep it moving, right? Like, I don't right. want to agree on that. Like, I'm not going to, uh, there are certain things I'm just not going to agree on, right? They, we right. will not have consensus. It's interesting. So I have a neighbor and my neighbor wears the hat and has a, the bumper stickers and also salts my driveway when we don't have salt and checks on my house when we're out of town and will put my trash bins back in the spot and will help us plow snow the first winter we're there because we don't know what we're doing. And if anything, the experience in Brownfield prepared me for what it would be like to be in space with someone and see the complexity and the love and the icky pieces and move it forward. And I love that neighbor and I care about that neighbor and we commiserate about the work that's being done on our street and he comes over and he says, hello, I've never felt unsafe. It just demonstrates how complex people are. And when we pigeonhole each other into one narrative, we lose so much opportunity to see what else is on the other side, to see what else is there. After talking to Chanel, I had this feeling that I was missing something. It was a nice story, but what was the point? Her philosophies were brilliant and beautiful, but I couldn't quite connect the dots between the idea of radical listening and the actual impact of it. When I asked her if she'd gone back to Brownfield, her answer was honest. No, she hadn't, and she didn't know if she would again. That got me wondering, if it's not a repeat practice, what difference did it make? This question sat in my mind for a few days after our conversation, and so I reached out again and I asked her to elaborate. This is the audio message that Chanel sent me, recorded in her home studio. After spending a morning in Brownfield and applying the principles I had preached, I realized that choosing discomfort is easier said than done. I felt stretched and exhausted from this experience. My adrenaline so high from the angst and my energy so low after the engagement. However, I learned that some things simply can't be because we want it to be. We have to constantly work at it. We have to stretch ourselves and lose energy and feel some stress for there to be change. The folks in Brownfield challenged my idea of radical listening. It forced me into a discomfort I seldom feel. It helped me to consider what it might be like for someone to enter one of the A Seat at the Table meetups. It gave me clarity that we're all searching for places where we can belong. The role of A Seat at the Table shifted to being an initiative with a mission to bring people together, to being a place where all could and would feel like they belonged. Even though we never had a particular contrary participant, I sought out to ensure that the space we created would be there to welcome them should they decide to join. So what Chanel is saying is that a seat at the table didn't really accomplish their original goal. 
It didn't start bringing conservatives to their meetings. And Chanel realized that she wasn't going to force participation for the sake of the goal. But she did realize that creating a space was just as important. And having that space be available to whomever wanted to join, be it a Trump supporter, a communist, or Elizabeth Warren herself, that was a step in the right direction. She started honing her focus on that, on curating a rare space where people just listened, rather than trying to pull in reluctant strangers. In this day and age of 2019, what does creating space even mean? In elementary school, we're taught to find common ground with our enemies. But why? Why should we settle our beliefs? Chanel agreed. Common ground is a cop-out. Because the truth is, we're not always going to find a middle. She wasn't going to compromise her pro-choice beliefs, and neither was the woman in Brownfield going to compromise her pro-life beliefs. But in between all the arguing and debate, Chanel thinks that we can find solace, that we can find space in something more meaningful than common ground. Let's just, like, t- stop talking, stop talking over each other, and let's just listen to each other, right? Like, let, let that be the search for common ground is just shutting up. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and not accusing and not berating, but just shutting up and asking some questions. Get it? Asking, asking someone why? You know, why, what, what's led, what in your life has led to your, your views right now? Because we completely dismiss the importance of context and experience to how we walk through life. And if we just had some level of care around the story of people, perhaps the search for the common good wouldn't be so hard. Perhaps it would just be more conversations with each other. There is so much more I could say about this day's worth, I feel like. I mean, I do love to talk. But that would entirely miss the point of the podcast. So I'll leave you with this, a reminder that we can look for the common good, even without the common ground. We just have to listen, really radically listen. Thank you for the reminder, Chanel. Huge thanks to my fabulous friend and producer, Stephanie Cohn. I could not create these podcasts without her. Thank you to Keith Kenneth for the theme music and to all of you who listen and reach out and tell me that these stories impact you. We really appreciate you taking the time to tell us. If you're interested in advertising your business, just let us know. We would love to help you. And if you'd like to support us on Patreon with a few dollars a month, we would love that as well. Podcasts are expensive and this is not a profit-making business. (laughs) These cost me money every month, but I love doing it. Until next time, bye.